A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined today by Andy H. Murray to discuss everything that happened on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review AEW Dynamite, Rampage, WWE Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have wrestling interviews, host roundtable discussions, and host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture every Friday. Uh, Andy Murray, thoughts mm. on Dynamite generally? I'm sensing a lack of buzz <laughs> online. I felt it before the card was, well, when the card was announced. Did you think it over-delivered on a bit of a mid-Dynamite on paper? I, I, I think that the show was exactly what it promised, and it didn't promise a great deal. Um, so on my article on the website, you can check it out now, just published it, whatculture.com, little shill. Uh, I, I had five ups and four downs, so I guess this is a two and three quarter star episode of Dynamite. If we're if we're using that as a ratio or something, um, the highs were were the highest highs were high. Uh, I've used the same word in the sentence three times there, like a hack. But there was a lot of ineffective, unnecessary stuff. Um, some poorly executed ideas. Uh, one match in particular, we'll go over. I thought. I just I did not need to exist, uh, and a lot of other bits and pieces that, while broadly productive, were clunky or flawed in their own ways. And yeah, not not really a buzzworthy show. I get the impression, perhaps, and uh, we spoke about this this morning before we hit record, uh, that maybe with the NBA playoffs on and not as many people are watching wrestling, maybe there's an element of. Mm, not going to give too much really good stuff away at the moment. But at the same time, then you think, well, hold on, they've got a pay-per-view to sell regardless. So it's a difficult situation, and I don't want to give uh, excuses for for suboptimal programming. But yeah, it was a very mid-episode of Dynamite for me, and uh, kind of making a habit of that at the moment for me, personally. They are, to a degree. Um, I would slightly differ from that, but that's what makes good audio content, I guess, in that I think they've stacked up theoretically, nominally, in theory, the last, what, three or four episodes? And for whatever reasons, I've personally not thought they've delivered on the promise of those wonderful match graphic collages that they produce. This didn't feel like one of those wonderful match graphic collages they produce, nor was it a particularly gripping episodic TV show either. I personally prefer a really great balanced dynamite, which is a hub for angle segments and promos and storyline developments, as opposed to that experiment they um, 
undertook the other week where it was like headlined by Suzuki Joe, where they yeah. were going for a B-level pay-per-view The feel. mini pay-per-view thing, I don't think yeah. they hit either yeah. one of those objectives. And I feel really guilty saying all of this because the number one Cedric Mega fan, Matt Reigns, was live in attendance <laughs> in Baltimore last night. Home of the Bastards. Home of the Bastards. Yes. And I will say that I was in dialogue with Matt. I was very happy that he got the chance to see AEW for the first time since 2019. He, of course, attended full gear. The temperature in the crowd, as it was throughout much of the night, not all of it, was quite hot. They seemed to enjoy sounded themselves. Great. It sounded yep. great. Matt had a great time. I personally didn't, if I'm being strictly brutally honest. Maybe that's got something to do with the fact that I'm reliving Twin Peaks for the first time in four years, <laughs> and it's so much better than pro wrestling. I'm sorry. Well, it's just Bray Wyatt stuff, Twin Peaks, isn't like, it? Shut your goddamn <laughs> mouth. We will start. Spooky synthesizers in that, yeah? We will start, you dickhead. <laughs> With a rundown of the show, chronologically, of course. And, yeah, the hot opener wasn't really a hot opener. Um, it saw Jeff Hardy defeat Bobby Fish, which itself scanned when I first saw the graphic as, eh, if you're going to put, like, <laughs> a pretty thrashed guy in Jeff Hardy in the ring against anyone, and, of course, they are correcting this big time next week um, by virtue of his victory over Bobby Fish. Um, he's going to be bracketed with um, Darby Allen in the first round proper of the Own Heart Tournament. That's the kind of match you would book where you can have someone flinging themselves around and like working around um, Jeff Hardy's really slow pace. But this is very methodical in pace, and it wasn't um, built around Jeff Hardy's high spots that he can still do particularly. This was built around his selling, which, realistically, he's been sorely underrated at throughout much of his career. Um, he's been typecast as a glorified stuntman who does high spots and gimmick matches, but he's really good at drawing fans into the action, and he has a, a almost unprecedented emotional connection um, with fans, given how long he's been. Um, involved in the major leagues in North America since, what, 1999? All of this is a very nice way of saying I thought this match was deeply mid, and I'm simply too old for solid. I've yeah. said this before. This is a yeah. personal standpoint. A lot of people can tolerate, oh, this is solid enough. I enjoyed it on that basis because my expectations weren't particularly high in the first place. Like I am too old for solid. There are too many things competing for my attention. I get 40 minutes at best before I just pass out in bed because <laughs> just the general ways of life are just too intense for a nearly 37-year-old yeah. father of two. Basically, this was very inessential for me. I kind of knew who was going to win um, going into the match, and that's not a bad thing. Predictable booking makes for logical, enriching booking, but this just wasn't that. Um, the match was basically worked around Bobby um, Fish going after Jeff Hardy's leg. There was a particularly great spot where he did a... Um, dragon screw leg whip into the barricade, which I thought was really well done. Look, I might be alone in this assessment. I'll get your assessment imminently because the crowd really did buy into Jeff Hardy's comeback, again, on the strength of his really close emotional bond with the audience. The last five minutes, really quite loud. If nothing else, Jeff Hardy's convincing at selling. Whether mm -hmm. that is because he's just good at the art, which we know he is, but if that's sort of combined now with his just kind of thrashed, just looks like it's such an effort and a struggle for him to do even the basics. It doesn't really feel to me personally like he's measuring his selling and building a comeback. Yeah. It just looks like he's a bit knackered towards the end of his matches. And people sympathize with that because they like Jeff Hardy, but all in all is a match built around some legwork with a rare commercial break in the middle. It just did not feel like a dynamite opener other than the crowd volume in any way for me. Yeah, I think because... Because that crowd was so hot for most of the night and because Jeff is eternally over, um, 
if you were there in person, you, you probably had a great time watching this, but it didn't register that way on television. Definitely not. Um, and it's kind of a shame. Jeff Hardy isn't Jeff Hardy anymore, really. And that's fine. He's 44. Uh, he's been wrestling since like 1993 or something. He started training like almost 30 years. Crazy. Start when he's a kid. Um, and he works a very high impact style and his reputation is, uh, well, I mean, his finisher, he literally flips off the top rope and, and, uh, and takes a high impact bump as he's delivering it. And obviously an important part of his legacy in wrestling. And one of the reasons why he's so popular is because he jumps off ladders and buildings and stuff. Um, so for actually, I think really for him to be 44 years old and still doing these things is quite incredible. Um, but it does take a toll. That being said, while this is very understandable, it's not particularly compelling viewing. Um, you can see the moments where he's going through the motions. Even when he's selling these days, you know, he'll, he'll be a bit janky and a bit like, uh, it always sounds harsh, but so, sometimes I call this like a, like an action figure who's like kind of, needs a bit of WD-40 put through the joints and stuff. And it's kind of a shame watching these kind of matches, but because he is received by a, a such a star. It almost doesn't matter that the, the ring work is suboptimal. It does to us as viewers and critics and stuff. But again, if you're there in the building and you're just going, hey, oh, Jeff's going to do the thing at the end. And he did the thing at the end. He did the he did the swan tom, which he now lands, of course, all the way on his opponent because bumps are hard. Um, I guess, you know, to, to reframe this as maybe something positive, um, it maybe it perhaps serves as a functional bridge to what AEW wants to do next. Obviously, there's the tournament stuff and him and Darby, which is going to be uh, Darby. Darby's going to have a great time doing that. Uh, we probably are watching it as well. Uh, but, you know, the Young Bucks tease at the end, that's clearly something they want to tick off the box. Uh, and they would be wise to get to that sooner rather than later, I think. Um, Lord knows how long this Hardy Boys run is for, but Jeff has said this is it. This is, you know. And he's a wrestler. It's hard to take that at face value. Terry Funk exists. Um, but yes. And also, maybe you'll get some interesting stuff with the Undisputed Elite. Uh, Bobby's not in the tournament. Michael Anflop pointed this out earlier. Kyle and Cole are. Maybe there'll be some kind of catalyst with them and the Hardys because the Hardys were facing off with them after the bell. Maybe the Young Bucks go, actually, we respect these guys. Don't 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 be dicks to them. We'll see where it goes, but yes, as like as far as like ten minutes, fifteen minutes of opening dynamite goes, this uh, wasn't a great time for me. No, it wasn't a great time for me either. The most succinct way I can put of describing the quality with which Jeff Hardy wrestles before we move on is that he does that which Dustin Rhodes does by design to make you feel like he's broken, except that's kind of a little bit. Uh, not exactly on purpose on yes. the part of Jeff Hardy. But yeah, as you mentioned, after the match, the books walk out, they exchange a sort of ambiguous, uh, respectful, I guess, glance for the Hardys. That's obviously leading to a match of double or nothing. Quite frankly, whether the Hardy boys, given this match, which is one of the lesser attractions in the own um, qualifiers, and given the, the, the borderline disaster against the Butcher and the Blade, look, stars deserve to be on pay-per-views because baby pay-per-views function to sell money but yeah. it's not a match I would book but realistically it's the best chance that the Hardy Boys have got of being the Hardy Boys again and it depends how much you perceive them to still be an attraction these aren't decisions for me to make but it is a match for me to look forward to or not and quite frankly it's not really for me at this moment in time what is for me however um, is a wrestling promotion booking <laughs> stars well putting great matches on and listening to the audience. We got all of that with um, the Blackpool Combat Club segment. 
you might have seen it already. You saw condensed version certainly last night, and there was a Blackpool Combat Club promo vignette, if you like, um, of them training of uh, William Regal sort of articulating their MO. He's got his fingers hooked into you, his nostrils. Like, William Regal looks like... It's so good. He can't wrestle anymore, but in that vignette, it looks like he could wrestle like a great, yeah. violent, gnarly sort of latter-day FCW early NXT match. I just thought this was a tremendous package. You've all seen it. Everyone raved about it, hence why a condensed version was put on Dynamite. And um, that preceded um, yet another... Um, Blackpool Combat Club trios match against um, Butcher, Blade, and Angelico. This is a hoot. Not so good that it really elevated the show. Mm. And in truth, for my personal taste, I've maybe done this one too many weeks without any real clear narrative direction. At this point, I'm enjoying it, but I'm more... I'm not feeling it as much as in my head I'm asking, right, this is great. I know it's great because I've seen it. What are they doing that's going to have more... Um, meet to it. What are they going to do at the pape um, at double or nothing? But the action itself was as great as you'd expect. Um, Moxley just looked so impulsive. Brian Danielson sort of operating in this quasi babyface role again in short bursts is fantastic. But I'm not just saying this to get on your good side, Murray. <laughs> the best bit of this match was the um, sequence between Butcher and Wheeler. Yes. He chops him so <laughs> goddamn hard in the corner that. Honestly, I'm very prone to hyperbole. Wrestling should make you feel ridiculous things and give you heightened emotions, and then you can sort of calm down after the fact. But in the moment, you want to feel these things. And in that moment, I thought, give him the belt. <laughs> give the butcher the belt because he's Strap lean, up, he's daddy. shredded, he's got a great look. His stuff looks like it hurts so much. He doesn't have that kind of weird movement that he once had because he's firmly in the rhythm of being a full-time pro wrestler, essentially, at this point. Goddamn love the yeah. butcher. Love this match. It yeah. ends when Utah, and it's sort of a consistent storyline beat. He gets tested more so than Mox and Danielson within the context of these trios matches, but then he kind of swings the momentum in the end. It's all very good storytelling. The action's as great as you'd expect, given the level of the workers involved, and that was kind of that. I'm thinking, it's another trios win. I don't know if that counts as the tag team record. What the are going to do at Double or Nothing is a mystery. I believe you is indisposed, being in the Best of the Super Juniors yes. tournament that is unfolding in parallel. So I expect maybe Jurassic Express that direction. But yeah, what are your thoughts on the match? And are you yeah. wanting a little bit more, or is that greedy at this point? Yeah, I think the the upcoming Japanese excursion, it's not really an excursion, but the trip for Utah has come at a good time. Um, I think the... Uh, probably the least effective of the trios matches so far this one in terms of like presenting these guys as uh, as like a cohesive front and and showing how Utah uh, slots in with these violent killers he is working under um that's not to detract from the action I thought it was good uh the character dynamics were on point like uh Utah thinking he's in the ascendancy and then in comes this giant hulking bear of a man to chop him to pieces this effective stuff um and Helico competing. I think this was his first dynamite appearance in September. He's been injured. Uh, and him and him and Danielson is interesting. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a dream match or anything, but stylistically, Danielson has a technical wrestling award named after him in the observer, and and Helico does the Lave Mexican-inspired stuff. So there was some interesting stuff with them and their various interactions as well. And they might do a singles match of that. That might be quite fun. Um, so, yeah, lots of interesting... Moxley was as kinetic as ever. I love that guy. Um, good stuff 
fine. Yep, good TV. Uh, preceded by the promo, the the condensed version of the promo, which helped deviate from recent weeks. It gave you something a bit more. It's always nice hearing that sinister old man William Regal speak. I love him too. Uh, yeah, I'm just ready for something a little bit different now. Uh, Utah's going to go to Japan. He's going to have great matches. In, I can't remember his block. I think he's going to face L. Lindemann, which is mental, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, he's going to go away and come back. Moxley and Danielson are going to have to do something a little bit different without him. I'm sure they will find ways to do that. I get the impression that the tag team feud might be something else that I suspect we'll cover elsewhere in this in this podcast. Because next breath, in fact, I think they were they right after it. Okay, right fair play. after it, which might itself be an indication because they tend yeah. to sequence these shows where things are linked and you're meant to sort of associate things but we'll get to that imminently unless you've got more to say no i'm good cool <laughs> uh we go backstage um ricky starks and powerhouse hobbs are you know there and they are sort of asked about the upcoming tag title challenge and they are yes interrupted because aw dynamite by jungle boy <laughs> luchasaurus and christian cage i take the pace a good interruption will if the segment's good yeah i'll be a little bit less harsh i'm gonna be a little bit less harsh here because as simple as this was Christian Cage continues to locate my favorite thing about AEW Dynamite. Last week, he had that wonderful line where he said, Jack, you know, you don't sound like a sore loser. You just sound like a loser. <laughs> that was great. I think this week's line might have been even better. I absolutely howled at the screen with how funny it was. Like, um, <laughs> when he walks up to Starks and Hobbs, like he's trying to give it the big and He's trying to overcompensate with confidence following the loss, the clean loss to Kyle O'Reilly. <laughs> shades and christian cage right up he's taking off the fake sunglasses you know he means business there like he's being such a cock i love to hate this dickhead christian cage yeah. i keep forgetting how wonderful he is when he's so funny isn't he's he so caustic so funny. and funny exactly right so i love this and the general gist of the segment is that yeah you can have a shot at our world tag team championships if in fact mm. you Give me, Ricky Starks, a shot at your FTW title. This, again, this is preview stuff for next week, but we're all nerds. We like to talk about this more than we should and all the rest of it. This will be a great way of giving Starks a win over Jungle Boy, casting doubt over the long-term plan of Jungle Boy breaking free as a singles guy if he can't get it done in singles matches. And it might be a bit 50-50, but the fact that it's splintering in a Christian cage means it's not WWE just doing content for the sake of it. Yeah. There's, there's storyline implications. What are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, I love it. Um, for me, the Jurassic Express title reign has been a little bit underwhelming, given the stock that has been put into building Jungle Boy and, and getting him over and establishing him as someone who is not necessarily going to be a headlining star now or a year from now, but maybe five years down the line or whatever. Um, they've put a lot of effort into him. He's very over. He's growing. He's becoming more confident. He's a better talker, much better talker, in fact. Uh, than he was at the start. Um, it's uh, kind of a, a mid-reign, I think it's fair to say. Not really a whole lot of great matches I can point towards. The freeway at the pay-per-view was excellent. Uh, I can't take anything away from that. But beyond that, not a lot of meat on these bones, and that's been disappointing. However, this is very good um, because Starks, not that he's ever been short of confidence, but him and Hobbs are coming across so well yeah. on TV at the moment, aren't they? Like, they just, they leap off the screen. Uh, and I think that's just a consequence of them now being on TV for two years. And and they they've always had great chemistry whenever they've been together. But as an act, they are 
everyone in Team Taz is really coming together in a wonderful way. And they're separate from each other with Hook and, and he's doing their stuff with Crisp Destroyer Danhausen, which I get a hoot out of as well. But for me, I, I think they have to put the belts on Team Taz. Um, it, it just seems like the natural way to get to Cage and Jungle Boy, which I think would be... Maybe it's not necessarily something they have to do in the immediate aftermath of Double or Nothing, but if they want to do it sooner rather than later, well, you lost the tag team titles, pal. Now you're really a loser is a good way of doing that. And I think that Starks and Hobbs is just such an ascendant act that it makes sense to keep that going by giving them this this tag team title run. You have ready-made challengers there in in the form of Swerve and Keith Lee, uh, who... Did the little promo after this as well. So, boom, there you go, first defense. And then later down the line, FTR, they've got their eyes on the belts as well. So that's how you transition it over to another team. I think uh, it's just such a fun growing act, this pairing, this specific pairing in Team Taz, which has always been my favorite stable in AEW, basically since they came together and Taz started going, you know what burns my ass? And all that in segments and stuff. It's Yeah, I just can't say enough good things about, like, how this has come together. Absolutely. And if you're thinking that it might potentially go sooner rather than later, that being the Jungle Boy Christian Cage match, lest we forget that came together at Double or Nothing last yes. year. So if we go the whole year, that would be a nice sort of very neat uh, way yep. of um, really sort of intensifying that story, as you said. And another segment that followed that we're probably expected or asked rather to link up, Keith Lee and um, Swerve Strickland um, said that they were unfinished. Um, in terms of their business with Team Taz. Keith Lee also said that they would swerve in their glory. <laughs> yeah, not for me, that like. That one didn't land, Keith. It's that not, one didn't just land. Just total nonsense. Yeah, yeah it was, what that means. <laughs> just putting their catchphrases together and hoping it. Yeah. What was the other one? Bask in my swerve. Bask in my hat. Bask in my, oh yeah. Hmm. That one's not as good either. Maybe they yeah. shouldn't just do any of them, basically. Yeah. That's the, yeah, the general gist here. But anyway. I got, like them for, I like these guys. Oh, I like them, I. Yeah. It's one of those where yeah. it's like, if the, my rule of thumb is, if you feel bad that someone on telly did something that wasn't great, it still means you like them. So that's yeah, you're criticizing fine. the work, not the worker. Yes, absolutely. And there's nothing unless to the worker's like Kane or someone. Yeah, Kane's a piece of garbage. He's <laughs> just the worst human being alive. I've spent honestly most of my um, pubescent and then adult life just thinking he's the worst. Mm. Like 1998. Oh God, loving Austin. He's so smooth though. Really safe. He's a safe. Oh, I like to safe, watch. Safe I like to watch wrestlers have a night off. I, <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, Kane's great work with that. It's like a night off, really. Oh, cool. So why am I watching? If I'm watching a wrestler have a night off for what? How many years was he about full time? Nearly two decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how like his peak was so short. We're getting off track here, but yeah, Kane. Very, very easy to have these conversations uh, post post like mainstream career as well. Yes. You know who's already a better power worker and big lad uh, than Kane? The Butcher, but yes. And Wardlow as well. He came <laughs> out, no music. It's such a great touch because not only is he going to get new music, people are already talking about what the license theme is going to be. This is just such a... Disturbed. It's going to be disturbed. It's, it's energy. Have you heard Gran Akuma's War Pigs theory? Okay, interesting. Because they have been calling him a pig. Yeah. I've known they're going to do something pig-related because MGF particularly... Yeah. He's like Omega in page like MGF, I'd put him on that level of like, he's a big tease and he's a very intelligent guy and he always drops things. So they kept calling him Piggy. So I think, what's, that's Pig gonna... Destroyer. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Little prowler in the yard on, on national television. Why not? 
So anyway, they've been called <laughs> War Piggy, and the pig thing is predated War Piggy, and he's got no music. So you know, do you follow Granakuma? Yes, yeah, he's, he's a really a good follow. Great Twitter follow. Yeah. He's one of the few like really good ones. Yeah. He never gets involved in any nonsense, basically, and he's quite insightful. But he tweeted last week when Spears called him War Piggy. They're going to get Black Sabbath War Pigs be because they're building Siren his as well. Would theme. sound great. Yeah, it's one of those where maybe it would only work once because you can't really do that in Dynamite. It's got such a but they'll edit, they'll chop it down. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's a good. That's that. I like that. I I also like the idea of Disturbed. It just fits his energy, doesn't it? Yeah. That Which of, well, we'll have to go and talk about Disturbed. Is the way I pray. Pray yeah, by Disturbed because it's like. The riff, it just goes straight into dun, 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 dun. It's just no nonsense. This is the way I pray. Because <laughs> like, something like Down With The Sickness is too erratic. Like, it's uh, all over the place. And uh, uh, Stupefy. Oh, like, <laughs> can you imagine if that's the sting? <laughs> oh, God. No, yeah, we've got to do it now. Can you imagine Don't if that's we? the sting? <laughs> so it's like, MJF comes to the ring at double nothing. Then you just hear, like, like the lights are going, like there's maybe some smoke machine, some dry eyes. That it's great, it's great, it's great. Sorry, Granakuma, it has to be disturbed. They were obviously nowhere near as good as a band Black Sabbath. I don't know, mate. Do does Ozzy Osbourne ever go? Exactly. How many times? has Ozzy Osbourne ever written a chorus? Dropping plates on your ass, bitch. Exactly. How many times exactly yeah, has Ozzy Osbourne performed a mock electric chair execution to himself on stage? <laughs> like the singer of Disturbed did all the way back in, I want to say... It's like 99, 2000? When, uh, Sickness Obviously, era. I didn't know Marlon Manson was such a dickhead and monster yes. at the time, but I obviously went to see him travel down to Manchester Evening News Arena on the Hollywood tour. Okay. Was that 2001? Rough, yes. Mm, maybe. Was it when... That Disturbed album, this, was it Sickness it was called, when he, it had the face, the blue face. That one's Sickness, yeah. Si the the straight jacket and all of that stuff. It was called David Draymond. That's right. He did that thing on stage, and it was like the hokiest stuff I've ever seen. Do you remember he, the video for Prayer when it came out? Yeah. And it was kind of like, he'd, he'd gone from, <laughs> he'd gone from like, crazy guy to like, Messiah, because he was like basking in this light and stuff as he goes, yes, yes, the word. He takes himself so seriously. I love it. That's the way he prays. I love it. Yeah, that's how he prays, that's baby. That's the way he prays. That's and I prays. prayed at the altar of Wardlow because this is one of the few just eternally magic moments on this show. As expected, he has the match with W. Morrissey. And for as long as it lasts, I thought it was really fun. And in fact, I thought they probably could have done a little bit more with it. Um, they did a great take on the Lesnar-Goldberg WrestleMania 33 spot. The leapfrog, The leapfrog yeah. was awesome because you're not expecting Cass to do that. There's a spot that's not perfect, but it's almost... This is a very AEW sexual Sidgwick thing to say. It's almost better for being not perfect because... Wardlow gets some momentum back. He goes back on offense. He has a moonsault, which is incredible because he hasn't done it yet. You're just getting there, giving you every week eight new reason to fall in love with Wardlow. So the booking and the performance is all as great as ever. It never feels like an off week or a, I've seen this before week. Yep. It's always just on that upward curve. And he's got such great spring, such great dynamic athleticism that he, that he kind of misses. Yeah. It's like he's almost too good at a moonsault yeah. is Wardlow. Um, I think it's a bit of an anticlimactic finish because he only does one power bomb, but it's so impressive given the sheer size of Big Cast. There's no wobble. There's no nothing. 
and the safety again it's that straight line you never see yep. the back of someone's head even though they're massive and he almost exclusively power bombs big guys um he's so great wardlow he really is in the post match um mjf furious and wardlow refuses to um put the handcuffs back on he beats up so many security guards <laughs> it's like that scene of Neo versus Agent Smith in the in the first Matrix sequel, except good and not the worst CGI you've ever seen, and it's real life, and he's killing him. I think he almost power bombs someone's head onto somebody else's head. Yeah. I'm glad he yeah. didn't, but it would look gnarly anyway, and it all looked great. MJF in the post match is furious, and he is so riled up by the inability of Big Cast to sort of prevent this big monstrous man from eventually one day killing him that he decides to set a match. Presumably a double or nothing with certain stipulations, but we'll go into that in the preview mm. next week. In fact, you're not on it, so why don't you give the listeners something you think might happen? Yeah, the, I mean, and it gives you thoughts on the match, obviously yeah, as well. It, it, it's it's so perfect that he's uh, the place he's finally consenting to to give me what I want to Wardlow. That's quite that, that works really well actually because the it's very Batista like this rise, but it's very appropriate that they're doing it in Long Island where where he feels safest and where he will be. Surrounded by his people, and he, MGF, it's going to be great because the crowd are going to chant Wardlow. MGF's people are going to chant Wardlow at him, and he's going to lose his mind. He's going to flip out, and he's going to take one of those all-time great wig outs that he does. He's going to take a temper tantrum, and I think that when they do the segment, that is going to lead him to to maybe uh, losing his losing his bravado a little bit and going, you know what, actually, I will just fight you one-on-one instead of stacking up all these crazy stipulations that put you at a great disadvantage. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. I'm looking forward to it either way. Uh, yeah, the match was good. It was fun. Um, I've, I, I, every time we do one of these, I, I, I see some takes like, oh, they, they should have protected the monster of the week a little bit more. And it's like, okay, sure. But like the goal here is to make Wardlow thunderously over. Uh, that's that's what it is. Um, the idea isn't, if you go out and have Wardlow, like if he was having 12 minute match with the Butcher and then Lance Archer and then W Morrissey week after week after week, uh, that undermines what they've built here. And that is presenting this guy as an unstoppable force. I think that, uh, yeah, it would be nice if everyone came out of every single interaction looking great, but that's not an essential function of star making. In fact, the opposite, it's usually the opposite of what you have to do to build a star. And a lot of what AEW, even three years later, is still doing is kind of, undoing certain ways that WWE have done things that very polite. Yeah, I am a very polite guy. You know, I'm um you meet me in person, I'm just I'm just the loveliest guy. Um <laughs> what a narcissist. I'm the best if you think about it. I am it. the greatest of all time. <laughs> all right, Austin um, Aries. But then oh, don't don't tar me with that, bro. That's the most insulting thing I've ever said to you. <laughs> let me take a second to apologize. Yes. You're the whole greatest man that ever Screw lived. You, thing. Bron. Um no, I was I was actually referencing the Weezer song, um, but I've lost my train of thought here. Uh, but yes, rules. Wardlow rules. The goal is to get him over above all else. That means someone else often has to go under. That was the case here. I thought W. Morrissey looked good. He, I, as an aside, it's nice seeing him doing this thing, isn't it? Because like life hit him with a couple of sucker punches in recent years. Uh, lots of stuff going on that we don't need to dive into. You've read all about it. You've heard all about it. Guy's on a good path now. Nice niche for himself and impact. He's carved that out. Uh, and it was very nice seeing him on mainstream TV, happy, healthy, and uh, let's say wealthy. Why not? Because it rhymes. 
Why not, indeed? We've got a backstage segment with Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter um, and Tony Storm and Ruby Soho to promote, which is, I'm using those in the loosest word, uh, meaning possible, their match on Rampage. I, in print, on principle, I enjoy them doing a backstage segment, which is prearranged, and there's no violence, because that gets rid of interruptions and beatdowns, which are a plague on this show most weeks, if I'm being perfectly honest, and indeed maybe pedantic, but, you know, exacting. At the same time, if you do this every single week, it's the same problem of repetition. Yeah. 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 There's nothing else to say, really, about this, is there, at no. all? I, I did think it was quite funny that, that I think it was Ruby asserted, well, we're not leaving first, and then... Brit and Jamie were like, we're not leaving first. So in my head, they're still standing there. I Yes, <laughs> I do like that mental image. I did actually also want to put over Britt Baker, who hasn't had that many poppers. She, used to, she makes me laugh so much, so I miss that aspect of uh, Britt Baker. But she was like, Tony Storm and Ruby Soho wearing matching black <laughs> PVC vests. And uh, Baker went, eh, and did like a metal, like, piss take thing, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was tremendously amusing. Going down the Disturbed show after this. Uh. Yeah, I wish there was like a different story <laughs> beat after this, but you know, it's, uh, I, I just popped basically. And, hey, you wear a magic Babylon suit to the House of Black. <laughs> House of Black PVC, that could be the tag team name. <laughs> <laughs> let's do that. Let's, let's, do let's just take the piss out of them. It's that way. Hey, you know what? You take the piss. We're, we're professional piss takers. That's, that's, that's what we do. That's what yeah. I do anyway for a living. Genuinely, it is. Um, Hamman Page comes out for his big promo. Um, CM Punk's not there to respond, given that, as Page himself says, things out there filming a TV show or something is an allusion to, oh, the guy who hated people not being there. Oh, he's not actually here. Yeah. Um, this is a very different tone um, to the usual new... 2022 Handman Page promo where he's got sense of confidence. He's very forthright, but he's a fair, just guy who wants to kick the head in of the people yeah. who cheat him and beat him down and all the rest of it. That's not that because CM Punk's never done that. He's just been, if anything, really respectful towards Hangman Page. So there's a lot to talk about in terms of his future direction. I don't think anything's fixed either way. I don't think you either. But generally, uh, sorry, essentially, Page comes out with a heelish demeanor, a heel-adjacent tone, and he basically says that CM Punk has got no idea what's coming to him. He's in for a fight. They've used the word fight quite a bit, which makes me think that if they have the um, full gear, Eddie Kingston, CM Punk fit. Is that, is that what cool That's kids right. say? Let's do it. Attire. Drip. Drip, fit, attire, gear, whatever. If he wears those little shorts. Seth Rollins, he's the fit god, of course. Yes, of course. That's right. Fit god. Cross drip. Yep. If CM Punk wears those little shorts he wore against Eddie Kingston, I'll be very happy, and I think yeah, it's trending yeah, towards that yeah. direction. But anyway... Do you um, reckon they might do a fight without honour stipulation here? Ooh. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Because it would be like, the Ring of Honour is owned by Tony now, and like Punk... Right, embodies this, yeah. yeah oh, I don't be, hate that, that at all, mate. That, that might be fun. That might be fun. Maybe they can do that second in Chicago, as has been mooted. Ooh, baby. Let's go, baby. But regardless, he says he's going to destroy Punk, and... He's not really looking forward to this big, epic, classic match. Bret Hart masturbatory match or whatever he called it, yeah. He says, it's not going to be some big classic saga. It's not going to be some um, match with a handshake in front of it, which, as you point out, that yeah. could be a tease towards the step. It's not going to be, and I call a masturbatory Bret Hart tribute. <laughs> 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that was such a great line. He says yeah. he's going to destroy Punk yeah. um, Page. I like how this is obviously prepared, but you know you can see it, and it feels organic because everyone's wearing a CM Punk T-shirt yeah. in the building. Someone's going to be. It's very, very um, clever of Page to say, I can see you're wearing that. Get yourself a refund because um, he's not even here tonight. He's filming a different TV show. and When he comes back, I'm going to embarrass him. We've got very different takes on this. <laughs> I thought that Mastery... Masturbatory Bret Hart line was not only great, not only is it exactly the sort of thing that would piss off CM Punk, which is what he's trying to accomplish um, in the sort of the trash talk fight promotion game that is pro wrestling, but I've seen enough of this. Like Bret Hart's on my Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Bret Hart basically taught me what good wrestling looks like and made me a fan for life. I love Bret Hart almost as much as anyone, and I've got a little bit. I'm done with it following Dax versus Cash. It's a little, it's getting a little bit on the nose. Sure. And I think his timing of that was great. How it would have pissed um, Punk off was great. There's little they can do given the scheduling conflict. But I thought Paige came off tremendously here. But at the same time, I've got concerns about the crowd reaction. I was yeah. hoping that they were, because I hold Punk and Paige in the highest regard in terms of how intelligent they are. It really feels like they are accepting of the fact that Punk's probably going to get a better reaction, and they are leaning into the, ra- the reaction they anticipate. Mm-hmm. As much as I like this for that story, I would honestly prefer that they put their heads together, their very clever heads, and thought of a way of, no, let's us manipulate the crowd reaction yeah. and split them with great storytelling and some real thought. It feels like they think that the crowd reaction is going to be inevitable and they're just working the storyline around that. So, yeah, I, I had a very different journey with this promo. Um, first of all, I will shout out the Bret Hartline 
is for another reason. My least favorite gimmick or, or, or character direction or whatever in wrestling is I am a guy who has great matches. I'm going to steal the show, Dolph Ziggler. I'm going to steal the show. I'm going to have a five-star match and, you know, whatever. Because um, I'm a bore in this regard. For me, the goal of a professional combat sports athlete, which is what you're supposed to buy into these people, is just win. You should be looking to have a crap match because theoretically you should want to beat them in a minute, not go 40 and have a critically revered classic. So I loved it. I loved him just cutting this down. But believe it or not, uh, audience, I hated this promo until the last second. I was sitting there watching it, and I was going, this is not convincing at all. You've done a broadly good job of of building the anxious millennial cowboy up as not so anxious, and, and, and you know, he matched Brian Danielson, and then he beat him. Uh, he went from, as you pointed out this morning in the office, um, uh, fearing the Texas Deathmatch versus Lance Archer to welcoming it against Adam Cole, uh, he's and issuing it as well. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and he's more confident in his promos, performances, matches, everything. Um, but this still felt like too much of a leap. I was sitting there watching this going, I don't believe this at all. I don't believe that suddenly Hangman Page is a guy who is promising to embarrass CM Punk on pay-per-view. I, I can't buy into this. That is too big a step from here. This is crap story. This is rubbish. What are they doing? This is a guy they've spent two and a half years building up and organically going from this kind of nervy guy who just can't get over his own mental humps. He can't get over, get rid of the bar the baggage he needs to, to leap to the top. And now they're fast forwarding to this because they know about the crowd reaction and they know they've got to do something to put people on various sides for the match itself because they're both so popular. And then uh, the last five seconds of this segment happened and I thought it was the most brilliant thing they've done in ages because Hangman Page, he gets out of the ring and he's looking around and like he's furrow of brow for the whole segment, isn't he? He's talking, he's very aggressive in his tone and he's very assertive and he's like scowling going, hell yeah, brother, I'm Hangman Page, I'm going to kick this guy's ass. <laughs> and then he turns away. And his face just drops when he looks to the floor and he's like, oh, God. Because I screenshotted it and put it on. Pardon, oh, my throat just malfunctioned there. I put it on Twitter. All right, you robot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a paranoid android, me. I'm like, uh, what's that band? Morrissey? That's the Shut one. up, man. <laughs> but yeah, his, his, his expression goes from that. Like, You've got no right to get Chris Jericho 2001 <laughs> over. I love Pokemons. Um, oh, wow. My favorite cartoon. But yeah, his expression completely changes. And the the aggression and the sh assuredness drains away for a second. And he's like looking at the floor like, oh, Jesus Christ. And suddenly he's really uncomfortable again. And then and I got worked by it. I sat there and I went, oh, the reason I don't believe in these words is because he doesn't believe in them. And he's erecting walls around himself to protect himself from the best in the world, which is what he acknowledged CM Punk has on the promo. So I went, yeah, I went for like four minutes or whatever this was of going, this is awful. What are they doing to go? And, oh, j wow. Okay. This is like really deep. This is really good. Because um, that's what people with inferiority complexes do. Yes. People with like anxiety and various things, like often you overcompensate and you you throw bullishness out there and stuff. And like, we, we, I imagine that every single person listening to this can probably relate to a time in their life where they've felt a bit insecure about something and gone bullishness, whatever, whatever. I've done it. I'm sure everyone in this building has done it. Um, it's how the human mind works. Uh, and my favorite thing about this is that now... CM Punk is going to see through those walls 
and he's going to attack it next week and be really cruel. I can't wait. I hope that is the case because I'm not convinced. A very subtle facial expression at the end, which I appreciate that kind of storytelling. I wrote a book. The putting H stands it for over. head cannon. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I hope Punk. I'm not a big fan of exposition, but sometimes, if anything, Page is a little bit too subtle for the uh, the medium that he's in. Yeah. So I think a little bit of just putting that across verbally, but Punk doing it because the worst thing is saying, yeah. "I feel like this." That's terrible storytelling. Yes. Someone else saying you feel like this is like slightly better, a slightly better version of that. We get the briefest possible um, video package of Konosuke Takeshita, Takeshita. Uh, who's announced for AEW Rampage. This is good and necessary, and it's something they should have done for the uh, spoiler alert main event. A little brief highlight package yeah. of how cool someone is in their ridiculously powerful and cool offensive arsenal will make people think, oh, I want to see that. And it looks so good in highlighted form that I'm thinking it could put someone away in a match that I'm being asked to invest in. They should have done this for the women. They absolutely yep. should have done this yep. for the women. Um, I will have a potential rant if I have the energy again later on. Um, and yeah, the match with Lethal was set up via a backstage promo, after which um, we get Chris Jericho versus um, Santana, and he wins with a pretty worn story device at this point um i had a lot of admiration for the opening second the um jericho appreciation society wwf new generation sting just going up a week every single week remains good and they were faithful to the on-site um aspect of the feud so the tone was maintained of like he's not waiting for the referee to pat someone down if he hates him this much i do like the on-site element but equally for me, this match all too often felt like a wrestling match. Mm. Yes, there was a really cool spot with um, the drop kick into the upturned steel steps, which was a plunder spot, which is sort of befitting the, the the tone of this particular feud. Did you see Jericho hopping about it in picture in picture? Yes. Yeah, it looked awesome. Yeah, just being it's complete. He's so good at being a jackass. Stooging idiot. Yeah, yeah, he was class as that. But elsewhere, you know, Santana did his um, Eddie Guerrero tribute spot, and there was just some wrestling moves in there. Like, if the tone is, we hate you so much, we are going to just kill you kill in your you house. On site yeah. and kill you in your house, put you in the ground, Eddie Kingston was saying last week. I know they have to save this kind of violence um, for the destination to get the most interest in it. But at the same time, like, just watch some Bruiser Brody and Abdullah. Mm. Like, that was on site. That yeah. was the second we see each other, right, about the ring. Let's go and use the entire environment as a destructible thing. Just any weapon that's on hand. It was really sort of like, call it in the ring, except call it outside of the ring, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. This is what they should be going for. Too often, every iteration of a Kingston et al. versus JAS match feels like a wrestling match. Yep. And not this white hot brawl where we want to put each other on the ground on site. So it was a well worked, I guess, if a little bit sort of slow, a little bit drab. But I just don't think again that this stylistically stylistically and tonally this was far apart. Yeah, I won't I won't add too much to that because I agree with everything you've said. I just I think this was completely it didn't need to be on the show. It was an essential. Uh like both of these guys, like these current incarnations of these guys a lot. Uh, everyone knows I'm a big Santana and Ortiz fan in particular. Eddie Kingston's like all my favorite wrestlers of all time at this stage, and he's involved in this angle. 
Yeah, it's just you know we know that there's a numbers dis- disadvantage here. It's it, that's been the point of like the last three or four segments between these groups. The story needs to evolve. Yes, yeah. I, honestly, it's be getting it's becoming so redundant that I'm thinking, have they worked out who the last two are? And I don't think that's the case. Truly, no. it's such a big deal with like if so if if they're doing something with Chris Jericho, even though the Demo God isn't really the Demo God anymore. He's still perceived internally as a huge yeah. star with major influence who can like tell people, tell Tony Khan who can and can't be in his stable, for example. Um, they obviously have people in mind. They're not just going to wing it. But at the same time, the longer this goes on, it goes back to saga for saga's sake. Everything has to be long-term. Not everything does, in my yeah. opinion. Agreed. They miss the point of characters and storylines by just always going for length, 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 length at any and all costs. Because if you think about it from a character perspective, Sheeda Deeb last week, Sheeda looked a little bit feckless for not just killing Deeb again on site when a knee got destroyed. That's way four weeks for the match, quite politely. Again, looking at this from a character perspective, how good friends are the two friends of Santana, Ortiz, and Kingston if they haven't helped their yeah. lads out for this long? Yeah. It's just to the detriment of character and integrity of character. I just wish they wouldn't do everything long, 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 long and, term. And the com- most confusing thing about all of this is that, I mean, it's got to be Homicide and Hernandez, right? There's like, the, I, I literally cannot think of a single other duo that would make sense in the context of this story, given who the baby faces are in this story. So it it seems quite an obvious direction, and yet we're kind of dawdling... I don't know, maybe it'll turn out to be someone else and I'll be totally wrong, but yeah. to me it seems like this is being set up to 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 bring in LAX for a match, uh, which, I mean, that's right up my street, but come on, lads, let, let's let's do something else. Yeah. Let's let's evolve this story beyond this guy lost because they have more people. It's yeah. just played out now. It's very played out. If, in fact, right, my, my personal feeling is that the Lucha Brothers will get involved in this, and oh, oh, they could yes. say something to the effect of, oh, we're done with the House of Black, now we can help you sort of thing. It's still a bit, like, segmented, and these things can cross over, but regardless. Um, we get a quick pre-tape with some more Joe. Um, says that he's going to interfere in the match on Rampage, because that's what happens on Rampage these days. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a little cute thing with the Gun Club and the Acclaimed, um, in which they are presented with a gift by the Gun Club, and it's some scissors, and they basically use that to symbolically say, oh, we're together now, and Max Caster starts to, like, chop people's hands These up. These segments are so funny. They're ridiculous, but I love them. <laughs> the one the other week where Max was like, come on, scissor with us, boys. <laughs> it's just, it's really good fun. It was Austin Gunn who went, yeah, we need to speak to Daddy about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you got, like, Bowens d- totally over the top with his face. These guys rule. It's one of those where it's like, I want both things. I want them to form a little faction and then have the match because every yeah, yeah. single element of this could be something so really fun, yeah. entertaining on a prelim <laughs> undercard level. Your favorite part of the show uh, was next, Annie Murray. The Varsity Blondes call out the House of Black. Um, Brian Pillman, after that disaster, like, mm. rat pissed on cotton reaction in the Impact <laughs> Zone promo, is somehow asked to do it again. Um like, no one cares about Varsity Blondes. I'm sorry. Yeah. This, this, they're not over. They're, they're not, not over. over. This arena sort of seems to echo that um, Brian Pillman Jr. has given it the big, earnest, emotional speech about how Julia um, Hart was the one who brought them together. And, like, she's everything to us, and you can't take her apart because we all fall apart. It's nonsense. It's total nonsense. It's got no heft. It's got no resonance. It's got no integrity. It's got no credibility. And no one cares about it. And... Uh, 
Who's John Harbour? Some sports football guy. Coach. Yeah, football football guy. coach. Football guy. Football guy. Who's mates with like Baltimore dad. Bastards, I believe. Yes. My favorite NFL team. I prefer them to the San Francisco 69ers. And the Miami Martians. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, so the quote from Harbour is, attack with all the enthusiasm known to mankind. And Pat Pillman Jr. says, I'm feeling goddamn enthusiastic or something. He wants to fight with the House of Black and the House of Black come out. And we're running through this very quickly because I've got no interest in in it whatsoever. Um, the sort of circle Varsity Blondes, this being the House of Black, uh, the Varsity Blondes in turn appear to sort of try to cut off um, the pass so that they can't get to Julia Hart. But then Buddy Murphy, Buddy Matthews sort of took her out of that and said, no, come and join us. She's handed a chair, but she wonders, she ponders aloud with her body language, why am I going to be so violent? <laughs> Is she fully corrupted yet? What yeah. was the potency of the mist? And uh, it's still unclear after all this time who she really wants to side with and all the rest of it. And then Death Triangle come out and it, uh, it all ends. Yeah, yeah. L- myriad problems with this. Pace is o- an obvious one. Uh, Julia Hart ate the mist in, it was either the last week of November or the first week of December. It's like almost six months ago. We're sitting around waiting and, you know, it goes missing for weeks and weeks on end and, and you circle back to it, and it's like you haven't given people enough to nibble on in the interim to to, to stay invested in this, and that's reflected in the reactions. Pillman Jr. is a geek. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't look like some fighting guy who wins some matches or loses very narrowly. He's just there sometimes. Yeah, they, they haven't really they haven't done anything to inspire investment in the blondes, the, the varsity blondes, have they? Um, and Julia's, Julia's maintained the character stuff across her dark and elevation matches and her fleeting appearances on cable, but it's not enough. They have, AEW just haven't done enough with this. Um, there's the why am I going to be so violent stuff, which, you know, personally we have an obvious distaste for. There is the idea that Black Mist can corrupt somebody in what is supposed to be a reality-based wrestling promotion that might be for you my friends but it's not for me it's fine we can disagree we can enjoy different stuff um yeah just a complete miss it's a it's a shame i just want to see the house of black killing people in trios matches because they're so awesome they're so awesome they could have done about five or six of these matches and you know the rock and rolls in the midnights didn't do all of this stuff they just had great wrestling matches yeah. across all the territories. I don't know, that time Bobby Eaton tried to uh, corrupt the mist of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. of, uh, of uh, Robert uh, <laughs> Gibson. I understand. I understand the value of preserving stuff, but some stuff doesn't need to be preserved because the storytelling preserving it is absolutely rotten, and this is a great example of that. I, I've just thought of a really bad joke that I'm not going to repeat about toxic mist and stuff. Let's... The Twitter. No, I, I, just, the Twitter. Yeah, I just don't want to. I don't want to rip into it too much. It's just like there are people who like are really into this kind of thing and like the variety and stuff. But for me, you know, I, I would just genuinely prefer um, my my wrestling to be a bit more sports oriented oriented than than oh, with this mysterious potion that comes out of Malachi Black's mouth can take six months to like poison someone's mind. It's just not for me. It's not. for not for me either, at all. And um, then, uh, like, not to prolong this even more, but I'm going to prolong this even more. You spoke about, like, earlier on the podcast about people just waiting around before they address issues and making it seem like more more of a wrestling showcase than a fight. Why has Brian Pillman Jr. been waiting six months to say this to Malachi yes. Black? 
if you're so enthusiastic about it, brother, you, you, I thought you'd be on TV the next week going, yo, this is, this sucks, Malachi Black. Come and fight me. Uh, bad story, and it's mostly in the fault of the, the, the bookers. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Uh, obviously, Malachi Black has got some influence, as most do, but as you said, the sheer length of it, again, pointless. Yes, I understand that the whole idea... Like we're not we're not idiots here on this podcast. The, we're the geniuses, idea, as we uh, discovered earlier. The idea is that the the mist and the the effects of the mist are very slowly affecting her behavior yeah. or disposition. The visual representation it's only it goes a little bit further under the the um, the patch every week and month, so you could say, oh, something's different about Julia Harper. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Come on, it's obvious. Yeah, people on Reddit of all places are pointing this out. Then I think, then again, Brian Pullman Jr. Griff Garrison's got no excuse. Brian Pullman Jr. doesn't seem to be the brightest bulb. Griff Garrison is the plot hole here. Maybe not Brian Pullman Jr. Maybe she could have like turned into a zombie, and he's just like, just has got no idea because he's Brian Pullman Jr. <laughs> you get a very quick backstage breed tape with uh, oh, Jade Cargill and the bodies, Thanks. and he's had a hard life, but you know, and. Uh, they're putting over themselves and they're Jade. so awesome, aren't they? Yeah. They're so awesome. Like everything's that, like in sync. You can yeah. feel that they backstage are like nailing this, nailing this, yeah. practicing it, getting it down, getting it down, getting it down. Yeah. Uh, I bet like the, the, you can tell that they really enjoy each other's company off screen and stuff. And like, as soon as they had that entrance on rampage, I was like, this is great. Keep it going. Yeah. They're awesome. Love them. Um, Elements of awesomeness were within the next match, which was Phoenix versus Dante Martin, which was an Owen Hart um, tournament qualifier. You've seen it. You'll have a pretty high opinion of it, I gather. If you haven't, the general gist of the match, which is my way of not going through move by move because there were so many moves, mm-hmm. is that it was a, uh, how to put it, a telepathic peacocking battle. Yes. Not too dissimilar yeah. to what Phoenix has with Nick Jackson and the Will Ospreay versus Ricochet matches where it's all about using skill of which they are equally matched there or thereabouts and to outwit the opponent, which justifies these spots where they are like bouncing off the top rope and landing on their feet and looking at each other as if to say, no, I'm better at this than you. No, I'm better at this than you. There was, an, there was a destroyer here that I don't know how they did it. I think they were trying to out leapfrog the other and then it turned into a leapfrog landing on the shoulders and then jumping over to do a Canadian Destroyer. It was so good that Excalibur lost his voice when yeah. trying to call it. Like, Excalibur knows how to call these matches. He was obviously um, commentating for PWG for years and years and years and years and years. So he put over the sheer athletic accomplishment involved in this match. There were so many ridiculous spots to count. There was obviously reverse runners. There was this, like, wicked... Um, avalanche Spanish fly landed on the stomach and not the on the back and not the stomach there's just all sorts of really unique innovative offense the way i would describe it quality wise is that in terms of flow it wasn't quite up there with the phoenix nick jackson match by any stretch realistically there were still moments where you could tell they were cooperating which is fine when it's phoenix and nick jackson because they hide that it's just like no i'm the very best at this particular skill no i am i'm gonna rub it in your face this telepathic dance of being boastful and brash and arrogant about the style. This a time scanned like they were just trying to get on the same page rather than just proving that we're the best at each other's page. You know where I'm going with yeah. this. What were your thoughts on this, Mark? Yeah, I, uh, 
think there's probably a little bit of rust there in Ray Phoenix for sure. It, it did feel like at times that he wasn't quite as fluid as he usually is. And actually, I think we saw that a little bit in the physical angle last week. There was a wee slip as he was trying to get up to the top rope and stuff. Um, and uh, I watched that, the AAA match with uh, him and Vikingo versus the Bucks, and I, I hated it. But we're not here to review that match on this podcast. Yeah, this was this was um, pretty much as advertised, right? You don't you don't expect like the Nick Jackson level match because Dante Martin is still very young in his career, uh, and he's putting it together as spectacular and as awesome and as great as he is. I love Dante and I, lo- I love Darius as well, and I hope he's back soon. Um, you don't expect that level of cohesion because he's not at that point. So yeah, it was about in line with my expectations. You've summarized the story perfectly to the point where I don't really have anything to add because that, I mean you've said what I wrote in my ups and downs <laughs> article. Um, style isn't always for me, but this was fun. And uh, good popcorn show. Yeah, absolutely. There were elements of this match where my mind was blown. I didn't have that sort of full-blooded, I'm completely invested because there were moments where you could see the wires. Give these guys five or seven more of these matches, these showcases, and give Dante Martin two more years of like a full loop, a full run, run. and loads more reps. This could be something truly mind-blowing all the way through. Wasn't quite that yet, but, you know, the promise of this dynamic... Nice, genuinely really nice nice. appetizer. Nice. We get the brackets announced for the Own Heart Foundation men's tournament. Ray Phoenix versus Kylo Riley, Jeff Hardy versus Darby Allen, Adam Cole versus Dax Harwood, and Samoa Joe versus Dad Joker, baby. (laughs) I knew you were going there. (laughs) (laughs) Which you think is? Uh, Boringly. I say boringly, predictably, Cesaro. Ah. I think so. You'll have to listen to the previews next week uh, for my particular take on that because I the don't want to get into the he thinks it's yeah, the fiend. It's, the fiend. it's obviously the fiend. Uh, <laughs> it's obviously the fiend because I've got this tendency to be a little bit mawkish about it. So save that for the preview. Um, the we get um, Darby Allen addresses Jeff Hardy in a backstage promo, and if he was acting overawed at the prospect of facing someone he's patterned much of his character and his influence after then he did a very good job because he did seem like a little bit lost um, doing this, so maybe he was just working us. Um, and one of the true highlights of this, and I'm so glad that this was done professionally, that this was done as if it was a sporting press conference in front of this wrestling stage. There was nothing about, there's no jingoistic elements to this at all. It was just Thunder Rosa coming out, cutting a great promo in her second language in which she really came across as an accomplished Worthy Ernest, world champion. Yeah. Ernest is the word as yet uh, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And she is challenged by Serena Deeb, who doesn't uh, mug her, who doesn't go for the chop block. She sort of speaks um, reverently towards Thunder Rosa, which I thought was such a wonderful contrast to the, the, the Nyla Rose build, if yeah. we're being honest. This felt like a worthy setup for a title match, which, of course, and uh, the challenge for which she uh, Deeb issues Thunder Rosa for double or nothing. This was as simplistic and as basic as it gets, but my God, the show could really benefit from more of this. Yeah, yeah. It's my kind of pro wrestling, this. Just two people who share a goal, but are from conflicting sides of it, who have, you know, the rivalry has been engineered because one of them is at the top of the pile as symbolized by the belt, and the other one has reached number one in the rankings. I mean, just settled a blood feud. It's pro wrestling. It's just great stuff. Um... A couple of little moments in this segment where maybe there was like a rebuttal that didn't need to be there at the end of a sentence. And there's a few bits and pieces where it maybe could have been a bit smoother, but I don't really care because the content is just simple, timeless, sports-centric stuff. Uh, it's great. The Serena D. Professor character is, is tremendous because she's obviously full of herself and thinks she's the best. and thinks she's great and all of this stuff. But at the same time, she'll 
She's the professor of professional wrestling. So when someone else is really great, she's going to go, you're great, but I'm better. It's so, it's so simple. It's just so, so simple, simple and basic. Like, as you said, like the fact that Deeb has got such disdain for almost everyone else to the point where she did a five-minute rookie challenge just to flex her brilliance. Yeah. For her to then put someone over, it's more powerful. We say simple. It kind of is and it isn't. It's very sensible. It's what you should do. Arriving at something like this isn't simple. As you say, you have to go all the way with Thunder Rosa, and you have to, in parallel, do more, not great booking, because it was very long for the sake of it, but, you know, they've done a credible job of building up both women over the span of months and years to arrive at moments yep. like this. Um, so it's sensible and logical. Simple, maybe not the word, but you know what we're getting at when we say it. And uh, following that, we get the um, rundown for the Rampage, um, lineup and the dynamite lineup for next week, which looks absolutely tasty. And I we missed get... the dynamite lineup. Darby Allen versus Jeff Hardy. Okay. Adam Cole versus Dax Harwood. Okay. Which, if Harwood, for your tastes, punches the Shawn Michaels out of Adam <laughs> Cole and <laughs> subverts that stuff, that could be really fun. Which, given Dax's Twitter form, isn't out of the question. Yeah, I so. think this is exactly why that match has been put <laughs> together. And the NJF versus Wardlow contract signing, um, Starks versus Jungle Boy for the FTW Championship, and CM Punk versus hometown boy John Silver yes. in Long Island. Um, which, again, maybe it will go towards getting Paige, like, sniffing for chance yep. of not getting rejected. It would break my heart if Hangman Page gets fully rejected in Las Vegas. I'm desperate for a split 50-50 reaction. I think they've earned it. Punk's been great, and he's got this long-standing romance with... Oh, imagine if they just booked him in WWE. Oh, well, they're booking him like this in AEW. Now, I understand, but come on, like, three years have been put into this Hangman Page stuff. The yep. respect deserves a 50-50 reaction. Maybe Punk Silver and the inevitable Hangman element hanging over it is the way to do it, but that's another to- uh, that's another, literally another podcast. Check back um, next week for that. We get a rundown of what looks to be the double or nothing card so far. John Silver cuts this really good promo at the expense of CM Punk, um, where he basically calls his biceps sirloin steaks. And the main event, <laughs> um, ice-cold match. Obviously, you're going to get an ice-cold reception. That's how these things work. If you put minimal effort into building a match, you will get a minimal reaction in terms of the audio. Um, it's Mercedes Martinez defeating Deanna Parazzo to use unify the proper and um, interim ROH Women's World Championships in a very short match that they claim they're going to stick with. Tony Schiavone's never sounded more like I don't believe a word he's saying, which is absolutely suboptimal. Like They're not going to stick with this, nor should it go 12 minutes of its title match. I just had so many problems with this, and I feel bad because the least of the problems were with the work itself, which is really quite solid and really quite astute. Um, Donna Parazzo is a great technician. She's wrestling a much larger, um, physically imposing wrestler. So she goes for the arm, and she does a good job with the arm. In turn, Mercedes Martinez um, does a good job of selling the arm, and she prevails in the end and wins and unifies the title. The work isn't electrifying. The work is more solid than anything else. There are a few flubs. There are no um, moments where they are struggling to get on the same page or getting lost. It's all a very tidy bit of business, but it's... It's more solid than it is good, if I'm being truthful. The audience reaction isn't there because they did not do a bloody thing to build it outside of doing a match graphic. My big take, my favorite, one of my favorite takes, sometimes I've got some in this that I really like, was in NXT 2019, I said the major difference, right, between AEW and NXT in terms of my emotional investment and over which um, promotion that I preferred because they were in direct competition. The comparisons were invited. One company builds matches, AEW. The other makes match graphics because they think that 
shortcut. People don't need emotional heft. As it happens, they did. This was a match graphic. Yeah. And it pissed me off because they didn't at any point say, oh my God, we've got Diana Parazzo on our show. Not only is this a get, not only are we going to hype the hell out of what she can do because we are so happy to have her here in AEW, also, this double says you need to goddamn know what our moves are to react to them. You need to know what she is. You need to know what she's about because with all the will in the world, I know Impact fans are very, very, very ardent. I'm not seriously taking the piss out of your product. I'm taking the piss out of AEW's failure to book someone who's way more associated with Impact than ROH yeah. and Diana yeah. Brazzo. Like, no one really watches Impact Wrestling outside of like a really niche very ardent circle. And in recent on this year's evidence, by all accounts, they've got a very good reason to be ardent. That company's drawing raves under the radar. I'm not taking the piss out of impact. Yes, I am obviously trying to deflect criticism, inbound criticism from impact guys. They should have done a much better job of saying this is what she's been doing in impact, and she's basically becoming in storyline the what Kenny Omega was in 2021. That's what the Diana Parazzo of Impact is. This is how serious another promotion treats her. Just tell her, tell the audience what her finish is and what her moves are so they can actually invest in this character, tell her who she is. Yeah. You got none of this, so this match just played out as a very solid, heatless affair that, by God, they kind of got a reaction by the finish. And I feel bad because um, Mercedes Martinez, of all performers and how much she's put in, like futile graft, considering she was a really good worker when mainstream North American wrestling did not care about great women's workers. I felt like, if anything, they did both women dirty here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The extent of the build for this match would have been, um, yeah, like a 20-second uh, video on, on Rampage last week. It's not enough. It's just not enough. Um, Mercedes isn't somebody that AEW has put a great time of inspiring investment in, uh, character-wise, uh, as great as she is at uh, wrestling. Uh, they, haven't, they, just, uh, they haven't shown her much. Uh, on TV and Diona, she got a few virtuosa chants early on, um, but they were, they seemed quite quiet on TV. So it seemed to me like definitely the audience needed uh, more opportunity to get to know her in the build up to this match. Uh, it got the reaction that the the build or lack thereof deserved. I thought it was a decent enough match. I you know simple psychology of Diona going after the arm. Softening up the arm for the Fujiwara armbar. Uh, she's been the Fujiwara armbar specialist for years. So that's like just carrying that over was nice um, to see. And, you know, what was the finish of Romero special into a, a Dragon Sleeper, wasn't the it? Dragon Sleeper the finish, yeah. yeah. Sorry. So, yeah, good stuff from from Martinez and, and Perazzo, but it wasn't reflected uh, in the build. Absolutely. If I'm going to be even more cynical than I've been about AEW's women's division booking of late. If I was going to be the cynical, I would say the following, which I'm going to present to the listeners for feedback. They are realizing, right, the NBA playoffs are wreaking havoc on ratings. In parallel, the criticism of the women's division is getting pretty goddamn glaring, and people are no longer making excuses for us. Um, the defense squad is recently running out of evidence and exhibits to provide defense for it. We're kind of getting a lot of justified criticism. Why don't we, on a show that we can throw aside ratings-wise because we've got the inbuilt excuse of the NBA, why don't we put a women's match at the end in the main event, the prestigious main event slot, in a show that we probably don't expect to get a good rating for regardless? Is this too cynical, in your opinion? 
No, I don't think so. I think I that's think what they've so done. I think that's what yeah. they've done. If the listeners out there think that it's very cynical or if they agree or if they've got anything to say about this podcast whatsoever, you can do so under the Twitter link at WhatCultureWWE. Whilst you're there, you can follow Andy Murray at... At Andy H. Murray. The H stands for... Herbert. You can follow me at M. Sidgwick on Twitter My as well. My name's not Herbert, by the way. Stick around uh, later today. We've got the a fiend. questions you most want answered podcast coming up between myself and Andy Murray again um, later on today. Tomorrow, we've got the usual um, weekend wrestling show previews in addition to wrestle culture. So make sure to subscribe to that. Thanks for listening. We've gone well over an hour. Your patience and your loyalty is, again, always so, so valued here. Again, subscribe. We've got more stuff coming. And until then, we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.